any given Sunday. A football film by a professional that follows a professional football team. And right at the beginning of the movie, the starting quarterback goes down. A few plays later, the backup goes down. And now we're down to what they call the emergency quarterback. Someone who's not expecting to be in there. In fact, his very name says, I am only going in if everyone else is injured or sick or don't show up. In this case, it's played by Jamie Foxx. In fact, he's sitting, when all this happens, he's sitting on the, on the sidelines eating a foot-long hot dog. He is not expecting to go in. And they give him the call. Hey, you're in. He wolfs down the rest of the hot dog, and he starts scrambling around trying to find the, his helmet. He can't find his helmet. He finally gets in there, and Pacino, the coach, uh, right before he sends them off, the last words he says, don't screw this up. And then he goes in. And the pressure of the moment, the stress, everything, all the fans around him screaming, and he gets in the huddle, and he promptly rouses on the people. His teammates, and is captured by the TV, and it sort of becomes his thing as he goes forward. Let me tell you, I was sick the day that Neil invited me to do this. <laughs> and I've been sick for most of the last couple of months. In fact, sitting down here, on the front row, and, and when that full realization of that moment hits, either I either got to fake an injury or go up there. Um, well, I'm putting this right here on notice. If I come around here pretty fast, well, you've been warned. You know, I like dogs, specifically German Shepherds. They are good for just so many things. They are a true working dogs that can work at so many different things. And in fact, the founder of the breed said one of his things that have come down to us is don't let the working leave my dog. And so what he created and what the, the uh, founding German Shepherd Club in Germany, the SV, came up with is what's called a breed suitability test. And it's a three-phase test, and the purpose of the test, they wanted to identify the qualities that they found worthwhile in the German Shepherd. Willingness to work, obedience, courage, endurance. And they wanted to promote those qualities and not encourage the lack of their, thereof of those qualities. And so they came up with this test. And that got me thinking about passages such as Nolan read tonight. In other words, such as Colossians 2.10. And in him you have been made complete. In 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17, a very familiar passage. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be adequate. Ephesians 2.10. We are God's workmanship. And so I want tonight, if you will, to take to approach it from the, this, this test for German shepherds and look at, well then, how can we then be the complete Christian? What does it mean for us to be 
God's workmanship, to be adequate, perfect, lacking in nothing. So if you will, we're going to, if I can, there we go. This test is called Schützen. It's German, means protection dog. And I, was for, for a while, was a member of a, a working dog club here in, in town. And it's great. We've got to work with all kinds of different dogs. You get to see it from both sides, from being working with the dogs, from being um, getting insights to how we train them. And we use German commands. It's interesting. Now, if you, this is a side note, if you have any questions on how an American can give German commands to a German shepherd dog and he understands it, ask the lesson, ask Jordan. She has some really interesting thoughts on that. Um, but this test, it's called Schützen. Again, it is a, what makes the German shepherd complete? Well, the first phase is tracking. In tracking, it's going to be, the track's going to be laid by a stranger. Um, at the higher levels, it's going to be up to you. They will lay it, and you will wait for an hour. It needs will have at least three corners. The, the dogs will have to find three different articles. Um, it could be about 100 to 150 yards long. And the dog is judged by how, how well he follows the steps of the person he's tracking, finding all three articles. Well, then how does that apply for us today? The first way that we can work on being the complete Christian is walk in his footsteps. Colossians 1, verse 10 and following. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all aspects. Now, we don't walk to deserve God. We don't walk to deserve God's grace. We are where we are by God's grace. But our walk needs to be a reflection of that glory. Now, are we going to fall short? Absolutely. Are we going to stray? Absolutely. But to the best of our ability, we need to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Ephesians 4.1 Walking in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Now, people are called to God by the preaching of the gospel. Here and now, that means that we need to walk in a manner that lives in harmony with that gospel. Now, again, are we going to fall short? Absolutely. But when we accept the privilege of being in Christ, then we also accept the responsibility of being one of the called out. Well, what does it mean to walk in his footsteps? The first thing is discipline. Now, discipline isn't always looked at as a good thing. Unless maybe if you're in the military, you've seen some of the benefits of discipline. If you're in athletics, you've seen the benefits of discipline. Uh, in fact, Austin is coming back in about a week. He had to learn discipline. He had it before. In high school, he was that the big man on campus. He went off to play football. Well, guess what? He's with 115 guys who are also work, came from were the big man on campus. And he had to be, as a redshirt freshman, he had to be very disciplined on how he approached it. And, you know, I just talked to him tonight. He's gained, since we left him in August, about 15, 16 pounds. And he's working through his weight program. They want him to gain 20 more. The only way he's going to do that is to be disciplined. That's for a physical goal. What about us from a spiritual goal? How we discipline ourselves. First Timothy 4, verse 7. On the other hand, discipline yourselves for the purpose of godliness. 
1 Corinthians 9, verse 27. But I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So what we see here is this link between discipline and godliness and qualified. You cannot be godly, you cannot be qualified unless you're disciplined. Another way in which we can walk in his footsteps is to walk in love. Ephesians 5, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And we're going to look a little bit more at this a little bit later. But coming to understand God and his will should lead us to love and obey him. Our walk needs to be in love. The next way we can walk is in light. It is a condition of our Christianity. 1 John 5, I'm sorry, 1 John 1, 5 and following. We have no fellowship with him unless we walk in the light. We're to be different as Christians than we were before. Ephesians 5, verse 7. Therefore, do do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness... But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. What we have here is a contrast between darkness and Satan and death and light and God and salvation. 1 Peter 2 verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellency of him who has called you, where? Out of darkness. And into his marvelous light. Darkness represents ignorance. Immorality. And we are surrounded by a world. A society filled with darkness. Ignorance. Immorality. And light here represents truth and knowledge. So as Christians we are to be the light. We are to walk as children of the light. That's how it means. That's what it means to walk in his footsteps. But how do we do that? A little further in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul, verse 10, Paul tells us, By learning what is pleasing to God. In fact, he goes further in that same chapter in verse 17. He says, Do not be foolish. We need to understand what the will of God is. Go back to Colossians chapter 1. We looked at the very beginning. We talked about walking in the manner worthy of the Lord. And the question is, well, how do we do that? He gives us the answer right before that in verse 9. By being filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We have so many smart people today who have no interest, no desire to be filled with God's wisdom and God's understanding. We have too many in our society and unfortunately it has crept into, into the church today who want to live their lives In a manner that pleases them. They want to live in a way, this makes me happy. This pleases me. I want to live this way. And if I am sincere enough, then surely God will be pleased. Don't be foolish. Learn what pleases God. And let that make you happy. To learn to discern what pleases God. To understand what His will is. It requires a standard. The standard is his word. 
The second phase, and I don't see it. Thank you. Um, is obedience. Now, in obedience, they're looking at things like the long down, the send out. They'll have healing. They'll have healing under distraction. They'll have retrieve over the flat, over the wall, over the jump. And yes, they're judging the dog by whether they actually do what the handler wants them to do. But beyond that, they're looking. Does does the dog appear like it's on its deathbed? That one more step and he's, he's being beaten. If he does this, he's going to die. They want to see a very energetic, very excited dog to be obedient. Well, what does that mean for us? It means Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments. Because this applies to every person. If it applies to every person, it's probably something we want to work at. Well, what is obedience? It's faith in God. Romans 6, 25 and following, the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ leads to the obedience of faith. Faith and obedience are linked. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, the great faith chapter. We have a list of people who were faithful and they were obedient. You cannot be faithful without being obedient. It is submission. Romans 6, 16 and following. Do not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey. So we're going to be slaves. We are going to submit to someone. Our choices are of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. The testing of his lordship in our lives is our obedience to his will. And we have the example of Jesus himself in Philippians 2 verse 8 where he humbled himself. To the point of death, even death on a cross. Do you think that night in the garden, was he happy? He was in agony. He didn't want to do it. But he knew what pleased God. And he did it. He humbled himself. He submitted himself. And so should we. Submission means doing it God's way, in the way he has prescribed it. And doing it completely. And then lastly, what is obedience? It's motivated by love. John 14, 23 and 24, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. You know, claiming to love God, but not demonstrating that love, is not the love that God wants. Again, we have the example of his son. Well then, are you driving now? Okay. We have the necessity of obedience. Is it really necessary? Well, first of all, obedience is necessary if we say we love God. John 14, 15. Obedience is necessary to know God. 1 John 2 and verse 3. We know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Obedience is necessary if we love one another. 1 John 5, verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God. And keep his commandments. And then finally, obedience is necessary 
for salvation. Matthew 7 and verse 21. Who enters the kingdom of heaven? He who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord. But he who who does the will of my Father will enter. And no, it's always been this way. That's what it seems so surprising today. We have so many people who want to go, I can do it this way. This pleases me. Adam and Eve. It it was going to make them happy to eat that fruit. They were going to be like God. And death entered the world through Adam. And they were thrown out of paradise. Saul. And we could hear... The rationalization from Saul today, he thought this was what God wanted, the whole Agag incident. And Samuel says in 1 Samuel 15, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. Hebrews 5 verse 9, Jesus is the source of salvation only to those who obey him. It hasn't changed It's always been that way. Well, the next and the third final phase is the protection phase. It is this phase in which most dogs do not pass. If they're going to struggle, it's going to be at this point. In each of the first phases, there's some element of those things that fall into this, this phase. If in the first two, it's generally just been the handler and the dog. Well, now in this phase, we introduce a third party. He is the helper. He is the antagonist of the dog. He is to threaten the dog. He is to challenge the dog. And for us, maybe, you know, I think most of us here tonight know that we need to walk in his footsteps. And we know that we probably do need to obey him. But this third and final phase is probably then where most of us are going to struggle with. How does that relate to us? Stand firm. Be strong. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His great might. Be strong. That takes us back... And I thought we were going to cover it this morning, and I was getting a little worried. To God and Joshua and the Canaanites as they prepare to go into the land of Canaan. Now, think about it. Joshua was not preparing for this battle with behind him the the battle-hardened phalanx. Alexander the Great had given to him by Philip, his father, that he would go from Europe all the way to India. Or the, the excellent horsemen that Genghis Khan and his grandson Kuba Khan would have and spread out west and, t- and conquer the largest land empire the world has ever known. He had many, many people. And the only thing that they had seen, that shown that they could be good at, was walking around the desert, watching their mothers and fathers die. But yet, God says to Joshua and the people, in Joshua chapter 1, Be strong and courageous. For you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and be very courageous. Be, listen, be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. That's the obedience part. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, walking in his footsteps, so that you may have success wherever you go. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or 
be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You know, that was said thousands of years ago, and it still echoes to us today. Wherever we go, He is with us. As some of you may know, I have coached basketball softball, I guess now about almost 10 years. And I started when they were seven or eight, and now they're sophomores, juniors, and seniors in high school. And I guess it's about 12 and under, so they'd be about 11. And our team, my team, was little bitty. I mean, they're all Jordans, so they're all like little munchkins. And at about that age, girls start really growing, and we had some big discrepancies in sizes. We had girls that we faced that were almost looked me in the eye. And you could see that the eye in our girls, when they faced a team like that, and we had pictures of Jordan standing on first base, and this girl this guy, at first base, this, it's got to be two feet taller than her, and probably 100 pounds heavier. Especially when the girl was a pitcher. The girls were intimidated. They step out, sip on the dirt, and the game was already lost. And I finally had to talk to them and I, over and over and over again, Hey, if we threw down our gloves, picked up our bats, and went and fought them, they would probably beat us. Hands down. No, 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 no challenge. But we're not going to fight them. If we can hit, throw, catch, and feel better than they are, we're going to win. And gradually, over time, they got that lesson. And they accepted And now they've been consistently one of the best teams in the state. Well, for us... If we had to fight on our own, we would lose. We have no chance. We're hopelessly outnumbered. But we're not fighting on our own. We're not being strong on our own. We're being strong because He is strong. Be strong in His great might. The second way that we can be stand firm is that we must accept that we are in a battle for our eternal lives. It is a life and death struggle in which ultimately the combatants are God and Satan. Colossians 1 verse 13, He rescued us from the domain of darkness and He has transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. We were in darkness and He rescued us. But now we're in a battle. And thank you, Dale. The battle truly does belong to the Lord. He's already won. Thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But we face, and we face a defeated foe, but a very powerful one. We once were children of wrath, but we have now been made alive. We have been set free. We have been transferred. But we face the full might of this spiritual realm while we're here. Ephesians 6, verse 12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. The devil is trying to reclaim each and every soul that has been rescued and transferred. We are in a battle for our souls. And as was touched on this morning, have we prepared our young for battle? For one day, and I've sent two off, and that's a scary thought, and i got three more behind them, to send them off, and you wonder, right? One day, they will stand or they will fall in this battle. Are they ready? 
To not understand that we are in this battle is self-defeating, self-deluding, and self-deceiving. You know, maybe, maybe we have become comfortable. And I know, um, I think Mike talked on this this morning. I was like, oh, no. He made a great point. Maybe we have become so comfortable in our lives here that we have associated with this comfortableness with standing firm. That's not always the case. Hey, I'm all good. Nothing's bad is going on here. I must be standing firm. But maybe we do know we're in a battle. And maybe, just maybe, we're tired of doing battle. You know, the weight of guilt, the constant struggle with sin, temptation, isolation, health issues, family issues. It can be a constant strain. And it can make us not want to continue. You know, and the sad thing is, Satan does not have to win tonight. He's more than content to win tomorrow or the next day. Have we become like Chief Joseph of the Nez Perce Indians of 1877, pursued for months by the U.S. Calvary? His people were dying. They were cold. They were hungry. And he finally surrendered. And he said, in part, I am tired. My heart is sick and sad. From where the sun now stands, I will fight no more forever. Are we on the verge of giving up? Hebrews 12, verse 1. After that great chapter of faith, he says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. 2 Timothy 4, 7. Talked about it again this morning. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Stand firm. The last part of the protection phase is what's called the courage test. It is the culmination of the protection phase. And here, at this point, the dog is to what happens. And the club I was actually in, they encourage you. Well, courage is sort of a loose word, but... Um, if you were physically able, you were supposed to be a helper too. They wanted you to be out there to see both sides of the dog, from the training and also being the the uh, the threatening guy, if you will. <clears throat> and the courage test is the last the last test. The handler takes the dog and walks about 40, 50 yards away, leaving the helper here. Now, through this whole protection phase, I had to do that. The whole, a couple things. Now, granted, they're not giving you the inexperienced dogs. They're giving you the very experienced dogs to work with. Someone that are very consistent. They're going to bite the sleeve, and that's going to be it. Because what will happen sometimes, and I've seen it happen, thank goodness it was not to me, that these dogs are so wound up in their drives is they'll leave the sleeve, which is what he's catching the dog on, and start going to other parts of your body, which you don't have any protection. It gets really interesting at that point. Um, but they give you real experienced dogs. And so the whole time I'm thinking, don't screw up, don't screw the dog up, and don't fall down. And you can feel the power of that dog when he attacks. And you can see in their eyes, he's like, throw down the sleeve and let's really go after this thing. They, they want, the really good ones, they want the battle. The courage test then, you line up 
And when he turns, you are to scream and start charging the dog. They release the dog, and he's now to go leave the handler and attack this threat. Now, a couple of things. I learned you have to time your scream. Because I don't know who was doing the courage test, me or the dog. Because I got about four steps, and my scream became more like a... So I don't know how much of a threat I really was. The second thing is I expected the dog to come and bite it, and you, you, you turn, you're supposed to turn and, and start attacking the dog. Well, he didn't do that. He did one of those things. And he, le- he leapt, leaped, leapt, he leapt about six, seven, eight feet. He left the ground. And you're, again, you're supposed to catch him and pivot well, I did not pivot because I'm saying, at a certain moment, right, and you can hear him coming. It sounds like Darth Vader on four legs. <laughs> and there's a moment, sort of like this moment right here, I'm, and I'm going, what have I gotten myself into? And he leaped, and I wasn't expecting it, and he center punched me. And I went back, back about five or six feet, and then I said, don't fall. Because once you fall, even the experienced dogs, it's like, Man, it's, it's, it's Christmas for them because they come off that sleeve. And, you know, that's why it's real funny to watch. If I watch reality TV, it's probably the canine units because those guys start screaming like girls when that dog starts biting. And I understand that. That's, I did not fall. But for us, what is our courage test? Now, we may not have that one 30-second courage test. For us, more likely it's going to be one day. One day. And for us, it's hold on. Hold on. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8. We are afflicted and following. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despaired. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. For momentarily light afflictions is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparisons. Once more unto the breach, my dear brothers, once more. Hold that line. Hold on. Hebrews 10, verse 38 and 39. Here, right before he goes into that chapter of faith, he says... But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Do not shrink back. Even though this looks so difficult to do, this way is the way of destruction. July 3rd, 1863, the third day of Gettysburg. General Lee decides he's going to send the Confederate Army charging up Cemetery Ridge to the Union forces. His senior general, General Longstreet, doesn't want to have any part of it. He has seen firsthand the result of a frontal assault against an entrenched enemy. Lee says, do you not have faith in our men? And Longstreet says, in part, there, in my opinion, there's not 15,000 men arrayed, ever arrayed for battle that could take that position. General Lee overruled him, and about 12,000 of the flower of the Army of Northern Virginia lines up, and what became known as Pickett's Charge 
It was not much of a charge, more of a march. And I've been there, and I've gone up, and it's, it is about three-quarters of a mile uphill, and sort of a rolling hill. And those, army, those men charged those positions. And when they got close, the Union artillery broke out. It was called grape shot. It is basically, if you think about it, if you remember the uh, gallon coffee cans filled with like marble-sized metal, thousands of them. And they would launch those things, and it would just, just destroy a line. And I've been on the other side at the Union positions, and I've seen they actually, and you're wondering, how could they do that? And they actually did break through. For a moment, it became known at the angle, they broke through and turned the line, the, the, the artillery around, and that became known as the high water mark of the Confederacy. They did not shrink back. They faced certain destruction if they went forward. But they went forward anyway. It can seem that way. Revelations 2 verse 8. Be faithful till death. And I will give you a crown of life. Destruction lies behind. No matter how difficult it looks forward. Destruction lies behind. Hold that line. Tennyson wrote the charge of the light brigade about a British light brigade that charged a Russian artillery unit. And he rode in part, Into the valley of death rode the 600. Not though the soldier knew someone had blundered. Theirs not to make reply, theirs not to reason why. Theirs but to do and die. Into the valley of death rode the 600. Do not shrink back. Even though I walk through the valley of death, shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Hold that line. 1 Peter 1, verse 3 and 4, talks about we can obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. We have an inheritance if we but stand firm and be courageous. In conclusion, how can we be a complete Christian? Well, one, we walk in his footsteps. Two, we're obedient to his will. And three, we stand firm. With these three qualities, we can be that complete Christian. And we can live the life that he has planned for us. A life that we were created to live. Holy and pure. Set apart for his service. Two more minutes. If you will. You go ahead and get your songbooks out. Two more minutes. And the lesson will be yours. That is a very old picture. That is me, my sister, and my dad, who's, who's here tonight. Several years after this, we were in Kentucky. We lived in Kentucky and lived on a farm. And being on the farm, we didn't have much to do for fun, so our fun was we'd play in the trucks that brought grain and corn and dumped them in the crane elevator. One of those times, the semi came through. First time it had ever been there. 
You know, the big semi full of, I don't remember what it was, grain. The, the bottom coming down. And unbeknownst to my dad, another gentleman who was working the elevator, me and my sister got in the back and started playing. If you've ever been, had that moment of life and death, you realize there comes a time where you know you're in trouble. And I had one of those moments. One moment I was playing, and then one moment I'm surrounded, I'm sort of in the quicksand, if you will, of grain. And not only can I not get out, but it's pulling me down. And my sister, who luckily he was off to the side, I said two words, get dad. And she took off. And I grabbed the crossbar. And I held on. And then it pulled me away from it. But luckily it kept my hands up. The last thing that I saw was my dad vaulting over the back of that truck with a look on his face that I have never seen before and never seen since. Many of you may have had that same look before. I may have had it when I went with Lauren and told her in the hospital room that you have Guillaume Beret. But he came over with that look, and that was the last thing I saw, and then it pulled me under. And I knew at that moment that I was going to die. And then my dad grabbed hold of me. And wrong or right, I knew I was going to be okay. You know, sometimes this life is wonderful, it is beautiful, and it is amazing. And then other times it is hard, and it is tough, and you can feel like you're all alone, and there's nothing else you can do, and there's no one there to help you. If you hold on to our Father, He will never let go. And He will be with you wherever you go. If you have a need tonight, come, I'll be standing and sing.